I'm wearing a jacket tonight because we've got all the utilities switched way down here at the church, and, and I'm just frankly cold, so I'm going to stay bundled up and stay warm tonight. Well, we want to continue in our series on 1 Peter, and tonight we're going to talk about living ready for Jesus to come, or living in light of His coming. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to go to 1 Peter chapter 4, and if you haven't yet, you can download our app and follow along with me on the sermon notes that are on the app. I think I'm saying this correctly, and Pastor Mark will correct me if I'm not. If you go to Woodland Church Mobile on the App Store or on the Google Play Store, you can download our app, and then once you've downloaded the app, you'll go down to the bottom of the app where it says sermons or messages, something like that. You click on that, then click midweek when you get there, and you'll find our sermon notes, and you can follow along with us tonight. There are no fill-ins uh, since um, we're just going to kind of go through this this evening. So let's go first of all to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, and then we're going to pray. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, remember what we talked about last week, whenever you see a therefore, you need to ask yourself what it's there for. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. <clears throat> Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts, so use them to serve one another well. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do, notice that, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just confess that we cannot understand Your Word without the help and the aid of the Holy Spirit. And so we look to You tonight to help us focus in, help us to learn and to apply <clears throat> these Scriptures to our life tonight. Thank You for everyone that's watching and for everyone that's a part of the service tonight. We pray for those in our congregation, especially for those, Lord, who are in the hospital with the COVID virus. We pray for those that are at home with the COVID virus. Lord, we pray for some of our elderly people tonight. We ask you in the name of Jesus to lay your hand upon them and to touch them and to give them a speedy and a quick recovery in Christ's name. And grant them patience too, Lord, as they're recovering. And Jesus, I pray for those that are caring for them and loving them. Lord, for those nurses and doctors, for families that want to be with them but can't, I ask you to touch them all, bless them all, and especially protect those that are on the front line. Now, Lord, this is indeed a timely word for us tonight. It's your timeless word, but it's a timely word for us during this COVID crisis. And so I pray Holy Spirit, burn it into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, last week I spent quite a bit of time in the message emphasizing uh, the therefore. Whenever it's there, what do you ask? You ask yourself the question, why is it there? Well, <clears throat> in case you've forgotten, remember, Peter is writing to a church that's suffering a great deal of persecution. Last week, the passage began with therefore. Now, as we move to verse 7, it begins with a therefore again. And because of the persecution and the stress, and forgive me for having a little bit of a 
tickle in my throat tonight, but because of the persecution and the stress, and because of the fact that the end is near, Peter says to them, therefore, and then he begins to break this down of what we're going to do. You know, sometimes I think people forget that we are living, according to the Bible, we are living in the last days. Those days begin, according to the book of Acts, those days begin with the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord back to heaven. We celebrated Easter this past Sunday. And so we've been living in these last days ever since. We have a word that we use in our eschatology or our discussion of things about the future. That's what eschatology means. We have a word called imminent. We know and we believe that Jesus could come at any time. He has said He would return again. He has said He will come again. And He could come at any time. But it might be another hundred years from now before He comes. And the fact that Peter said in the gospel or in this epistle, the fact that he said that the end is near doesn't mean that Peter didn't know what he was talking about or he was mistaken. Jesus said over and over in his teachings and preachings that no one knew the time, no one knew the hour that he would return again. Nobody knows that day. Only the Father knows that. But in the light of Jewish prophecy, whenever the prophets would make an eschatological prediction or a prophecy about the future, and maybe just a word here to help you understand prophecy, prophecy means to speak forth. We're more used to thinking in our culture about prophecy is foretelling what's going to happen in the future. And certainly the Bible contains prophecy. For instance, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of uh, Daniel, in the book of Revelation, there's a great deal of prophecy about foretelling what's going to happen. But there isn't a deadline and a timeline set that we would know when the end is. And so the fact, now this is important, the fact that a Jewish prophet would talk about the things that were going to happen in the future, it was obvious in the Bible that people didn't expect it was necessarily going to happen immediately and right away. That near is the promise that He is coming, it's imminent, and we need to live ready that Jesus could come at any time. And so each and every day of my life, there is an eschatological ethic in my life. And that's the reason I keep using that word tonight. There's an eschatological ethic. There is a promise of Jesus' coming. There is the hope of His coming that motivates me to live my life the way I live my life. It motivates me to live for the glory of God. It motivates me to love my wife as Christ loves the church, to, to raise my children in the nurturing, the admonition of the Lord, to, to love and to feed God's people as a pastor in the church, to, to be a pilgrim in this world sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Peter walks through four things that I think are important to look at here that we could call eschatological ethics. Now, the fact that he says, number one, the fact that he says that Christ could return today does not mean that we have lost our minds. Because when we think of the end of the world, we typically think of somebody wearing a sandwich board on the front or the back and his hair is all crazy and he looks like he needs a shave and he's walking down the streets and he's going, the end is near, the end is at hand. That's what we think about with that kind of person. And you've probably seen them on the streets before. I, I grew up, now I, I love 
my background. I love my heritage. I'm grateful for it. But I grew up where the coming of Jesus Christ was preached over and over again. I can remember my hearing my pastor say as a, as a young teenage boy, God will never allow man to walk on the moon. Some things God has reserved for himself. Well, thank God Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, and my pastor was gracious in admitting, you know, that he had made a mistake. But I can remember other times pastors and preachers and prophecy teachers saying things like this, and uh, they would say, well, Jesus is going to come before 1988. Jesus is going to come before 1990. Jesus is going to come before the millennium changes. Well, here we are 20 years into this new millennium now already. You know, I think it would be wise, and I say this here at Woodland all the time. I, I say this when I'm teaching our Discovering Woodland class where folks that want to know more about joining our church, I say, you know, we have a real simple proposition to make. When there's a question, we ask ourselves, what does the Bible say? And I encourage our congregation, say only what the Bible says, no more or no less. And if you are going to comment on something the Bible says that you can't back up from Scripture, then that's just your opinion. That's just what you think about it. And so when I stand here on Sundays and Wednesdays or speaking to any other group of people that I'm invited to speak to, and I'm called to preach and I'm called to share the Word of God, I don't offer my opinions. And if I do offer my opinion, I make it real clear that this is my opinion only. This is why I don't preach about politics unless it affects something that has to do with morality or virtue or the call to, to share the gospel with one another. It's, it's the reason that there are some things that other people may think is political. I'm going to speak about it if it involves life, for instance. There are some things, though, that I may think politically. I'm pretty conservative in my thought politically, but my political thoughts, the pulpit is not the place for that unless it addresses something to do with what the Bible is very clear about. So, let's look at this verse of Scripture. The end of the world is coming soon, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Now, before you look at that Scripture and say, well, Peter didn't know what he was talking about, Remember the background I just gave you for understanding prophecy, but also remember this, just about 20% of everything that Jesus preached and taught in the four Gospels has to do with His return and the day of judgment, where Christians will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for the things that we have done whether or not it's going to come forth as gold and silver and precious stones as the Bible describes it. In other words, what's been the motivation? What's my motivation behind preaching tonight? What's my motivation for the way I love my family or serve my community? But there will come a time where God will call all of the unbelievers to the great white throne judgment where they will be judged for whether or not they accepted Christ or rejected Christ. And so, it's very important that you understand that Jesus talked about this a lot. And so when we talk about the end is near, you need to understand there is an eschatological ethic for how we live our lives. In our world, and our students are confronted with this in universities a lot of times, and I hear this talking to people from time to time, you know, when people no longer accept that there is a God, when they say there is no God, and therefore, because there is no God, there are no moral absolutes. And 
I have listened to classroom lectures where a professor has said, there is no moral absolute. What may be right for you is wrong for me. What may be right for me is wrong for you. So there are no more moral absolutes. Well, there was an episode of The Simpsons that was on one time, and I can't even believe I'm using The Simpsons as an illustration tonight. But there was an episode on The Simpsons where they were going to have a Do What Feels Good to You festival. And in the Do What Feels Good to You festival, there were some bleachers that collapsed. And when they collapsed, people were injured and hurt, and they were angry. And so they asked the man who constructed the bleachers for the parade. He said, well, I just didn't feel like putting the bolts in there and tying it up. And somebody says, you should have done that. And somebody says, oh, no, we can't use should have done that because we're supposed to do whatever feels good to us. And if that didn't feel good to him, then he didn't have to do it. Well, pretty soon somebody else got angry and says, well, I feel like punching the guy. And all of a sudden there was a total riot and fight that broke out because what happens when everybody does what is right in their own eyes, and did you know there's an entire book in the Bible that deals with this? When everybody does what's right in their own eyes, then you're going to have anarchy. And it's very important to understand this as we go through this eschatological ethic. There is a very thin, misty veil, a very thin, misty membrane, a very thin, misty line that you can cross between decency and anarchy. And we are living off the capital in Western culture of people who came generations before us who believed in moral absolutes that were based upon the Judeo-Christian ethic which comes from the Word of God. And the good things that we experience in our culture is because of those moral absolutes that they took from the Scriptures and applied to their lives. Beloved, I can't emphasize that enough, especially now that I'm a grandfather and I see the kind of world that my grandsons are going to be growing up in. It's why I find myself praying almost every single day, God, send us a revival. We need a revival in America again because without moral absolutes and when people do what feels right, children are the worst victims. They're, they're the most innocent victims. It's many times because we did what felt right and now this child is an inconvenient truth in our life that we get rid of this child through an abortion because it just feels right to get rid of the child. And sometimes people say, well, it's best for the child. Well, who, who can answer that question except for God? And God says, all life is sacred. And so the Scripture is saying to us, the end of all things, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, there's why that therefore is there. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. C.S. Lewis said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but C.S. Lewis said, if there are, listen, if there are moral absolutes in our world, if there are absolute truths in our world, if there is a creator, then the most insane thing that we can do is to ignore those moral absolutes. And so we're living in a culture right now where there is a battle between right and wrong. So when someone says, and, and let me just see if I can illustrate like this, because this is so important. When someone says, well, we should treat our neighbor right. Well, why should we treat our neighbor right? 
if there are no moral absolutes, then why shouldn't the weak prey upon the strong? Why shouldn't the laws of evolution apply to our society? Especially when people are taught evolution over and over and over, and it's the survival of the fittest, then, you know, according to that, then the weakest shouldn't be worried about. They should be just tossed aside. As a matter of fact, there have been doctors associated with some of the most prestigious universities in this nation who have said that we shouldn't worry about them, that they're a weight on society. And friend, it is contrary, absolutely diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches, what Jesus taught us, that we are to care for the sick, we are to love the dying, we are to heal the sick, that the children and the innocent are to be cared for. Friends, there will come a day, the end is coming, where we will have to answer for how we have lived our lives and whether there has been justice and when there has been love. And the reason this means so much to me is because I can't wait for Jesus to return. Because human beings cannot change our nature without the Holy Spirit. We can't change who we are without the gospel until we are born again. Science can't change us. Culture can't change us. Politics can't change us. Only the gospel can deal with our human sin. And I know, I know, I'd be the first to admit, life is a lot better now in technological ways than it used to be. Life is far superior to the people who didn't have plumbing, to the people who didn't have electricity in their homes. I have been in those communities where people save waste to be able to heat animal waste, to be able to heat their homes and, and to be able to cook with. I've been there. I've seen it firsthand. I've sat in their homes, in their grass huts. And so I understand that we do, we are the beneficiaries of technology. This, this iPad here is so much better than the old portable typewriter my parents bought me to take to college with me. It's so much better than the first computer I had with a five-pound battery. My watch is better than that first computer that I had. But here's the deal. That iPad, this watch, this camera, the internet that we're using to communicate with you tonight, none of this can change the heart of a human being. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can. Well, if we were here, I'd ask you to give the Lord a hand of praise right now. The Bible says, clap your hands, all your people. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. I am so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's wrap this up tonight. The Bible says, therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. So, first of all, he's telling us, be earnest in prayer. Prayer reminds us of who we are and who God is. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, which art in heaven, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I'm just going to focus on that for the rest of this service tonight. Because what we're praying for is the will of God to be done. What we're praying for is for the kingdom of God to be manifested upon this earth. And human beings are not going to accomplish the kingdom of God. Only the Lord Jesus Christ with His return, only His infusion of grace, His infusion of power, His soon return when Jesus comes back and sets up His kingdom upon this earth, will His will be done completely. But you and I can do His will completely each and every day by praying for and living for the glory of God. The Scripture says to also be disciplined, to be disciplined and not self-indulgent. In other words, 
to be disciplined, the word there is to be sane, to be realistic. Uh, In Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 9, I believe I've got those two references correct, but there was a man that was was just tormented by demons. He was, the scripture, the word is demonized. And he was bound with chains. He was out of his mind. He was insane. And when Jesus touched him, his mind was made whole. He was returned to his right mind. He was made sane. It's the same word that we get this word self-discipline from. It's sanity to be self-disciplined. It is insanity to live an undisciplined life. The scripture talks about the sluggard who lies in his bed while his door hangs and and his hunt rots on the porch and the weeds are growing up. The sluggard is kin to a thief. In other words, the book of Proverbs is saying the lazy man is an insane man. And the Bible says that the hand of the diligent, God will cause them to prosper. So be disciplined, not self-indulgent. And so I pray that during this stay home, stay safe, if you're not able to get out and work and what you do is not considered essential, I pray you're not wasting time. I pray you're using this time wisely. I pray you're spending more time in prayer and in the Scriptures. You're playing games with your children. You're spending time with your wife or your husband. Maybe you're accomplishing some projects around the house that need to be done. I know one thing. I have enjoyed the diligence of my wife in the kitchen, and I'm probably going to have to pay for that when it's all over, but she has been diligent not only in cooking and baking, but in loving and serving others in our community and our church, and she's just a model for me of what this means about being disciplined and not living a self-indulgent life. Secondly, the Scripture tells us that we need to make active expressions of God's love. Make active expressions of the love of God. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Boy, if I were you, I would underline that in my Bible. I would underline that in my, in my Scriptures. Most important of all. Wow, that just kind of stands out at me in boxcar size letters. There's a railroad track not far from our church here an aggravating railroad track, I need to say. Sometimes, you know, if you get stuck in that track, you're there for almost an hour. And if you live here in Downriver, you know just exactly where I'm talking about at. But there's these cars that will come by, and they've got these huge, gigantic letters on the side of them. Well, that's how this stands out to me. Most important of all, show deep love for each other. Continue to. The word there literally means to stretch, like one of those exercise bands that you would use. To stretch. Sometimes love causes us to stretch. Remember, during the time of persecution that Peter was writing to these Christians about, there's a lot of stretching that goes on because when you're being persecuted, there's emotional persecution, there's spiritual persecution, there's physical toil that that takes upon you, and you can get upon one another's nerves. Maybe during this crisis, it's been a stretching time for you. But the Bible tells us that we need to really stretch and reach out and love one another. You see, I need a lot of God's grace in my life. I need a lot of grace of the people who surround me in life. I promise you, I am not the easiest person to live with. I need the grace of God to be manifested in my life. And there are people here making me laugh right now. There, that the, the grace of God that covers a multitude of sins. 
But I've got news for you. We all need grace. Even these saints that are here helping me tonight behind the scenes. We all need grace that covers our sins. We all need to forbear with one another. He also says another way we can be uh, showing love is, is to be hospitable to one another. Now, let me talk to you for a moment about biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality is different than just entertaining. You know, when my wife is watching some of the shows that she likes to watch on television, or whether it's uh, about decorating or entertaining on those shows, on those channels that have all that stuff, you know, they'll show all this fancy china. They'll show all everything that's done just right. Uh, some of you, you watch that movie, Downton Abbey. I would be like a cat in a room full, of, a lone tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs if I had to eat at a table like that with all the, the stuff that they have to go on. I just want to eat, and I just want to have fellowship with people. But entertaining is different than hospitality. Hospitality, whether you have a big home or a small home, whether you have nice furniture or whether you have shabby furniture, whether your house is clean and spotless or whether your house is, you know, uh, as sometimes people describe it, country clutter. The Bible says that hospitality is focusing on the other person. It's not about your furniture or the size of your house. It's focusing upon the other person, focusing upon their needs, focusing upon their hurts, focusing upon what they, how they really need to be blessed in life. I am so thankful through the years of people that have extended hospitality to me. You know, I spent a great deal of my life traveling, and there was so much hospitality that was shown to me when I was traveling and speaking and being in different countries. I can remember being in one nation, and I, I see the image in my head right now. I went into, uh, by our standards, would be just a shack, and there was nothing really that clean and nothing that neat because it was a third world nation. And I didn't understand why the, the ladies and the children were not joining the man and I at the table. And later I found out it's because they gave up their food because they saw me in need of food. Friends, I wept that night. I wept. I, I, I want to cry right now just remembering that expression of hospitality that children and a mother and a wife gave up their meal because they wanted to show hospitality to me. Hospitality is not entertaining. Hospitality is being concerned about the need of the other person. And I want to say it again during this COVID crisis. You know, family, we have to care for each other. We have to love each other. We have to show one another care, even if it stretches us. And it's not just to the nicest among us. Because there can be some very awkward people that we serve sometime. But we do it because we know that Jesus is coming. We do it because we want the will of God done. Well, boy, I'm going a whole lot longer than I anticipated. So let me wrap this up tonight. The third way that we can show love is, is to use our gifts, our spiritual gifts to serve. You know, the Bible says that each of us have a spiritual gift. And the gift is given to serve with. Look at this. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. Use them well to serve one another. My daddy never really had people that wanted to see the tools or the implements that he used behind his tractor. Everybody wanted to see the fruit. 
You know, sometimes people want to brag about their gift. I think that's wrong. We don't boast about our gifts. Everything I have, I have because God has given it to me. What I look for is the fruit of those gifts that God gave us. Those gifts are the tools that we use to see the fruit manifested in the lives of other people. So we use our spiritual gifts, we use them in the name of Jesus, and then we remember that God is our source. God is our source of strength, God is our source of anointing, God is our source of power. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11 says, do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Hallelujah. Do you know God will supply strength to you? Did you know God will give energy to you? If you're feeling tonight like you're just run down and you're wore out or you're lethargic, then I urge you, get on your knees tonight. Lift your hands up in worship to the Lord and wait upon the Lord as He renews your strength. Those that wait upon the Lord, those that serve the Lord, God will strengthen them. They will mount up with wings like eagles. Friends, I'm telling you, there's more of God to tap into than what you and I have lived out and experienced in our lives. And then finally, Peter closes this section with a just, he just burst out in praise. He can't help himself. I can't help myself tonight. He just burst out in praise. He says, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Read this with me if you've got your Bible open or if you've got the app open. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. Do you get that? That's, that's what he's doing. He's, he's lifting his hands. Do it with all the strength. Do it with all the energy that God provides. All glory to Him forever and ever and ever. Well, let's lift our hands. Let's worship Him. And then I want to close in prayer. Father, thank You for Your amazing love. Thank You for Your kindness and Your goodness to us. Thank You for how You've loved us. And in Jesus how you have loved us has taught us how to love others. Jesus, how you came and served us. You came not to be served, but to serve. You have taught us how to serve others. You have taught us how to lay down our lives, Lord, only to see and to experience the resurrection power of God. And so, Jesus, tonight we want this phrase burned into our minds, an eschatological ethic. You are coming again. You are coming soon, and I pray what the early church prayed, Lord, Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Hey, I love you so much. Thank you for joining me tonight. You know, if you've got questions, don't hesitate to email me. If you need help, don't hesitate to email us here at the church. And could I remind you, by the way, as well, to be sure that you remember your tithes and your offerings. You can give online, 77977. You can text that and you can give. Today, somebody told me, he says, I gave today using that text to give. Even an old man can learn how to do it. Well, God bless you. I can't wait to see you for tomorrow's update and then Sunday morning right here online.